What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Dipped in Tone. I'm Rhett. I'm Zach. Today, we've got a really, really fun episode lined up for you guys. The one and only Ariel Posen is going to be joining us in just a minute. That's right. Hey, uh, Very excited. Hey, a good a, friend of mine. Aficionado of low tuning slides and uh, fuzzes. We get into That's all right. that stuff. So, uh, hey, great hair. Uh, great tone. Personality. Great yeah. tone. <laughs> the three things yeah. that you need. <laughs> oh, so what's man. what's been going on with you? You've been you've been busy. You've been a busy guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've been busy. I, I've learned a valuable lesson this year, which is that the power of saying no is um, important and something that needs to be embraced and used yep. more. Because uh, uh, boy, have I just spread myself way too thin this year. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've been busy working on a ton of stuff. Uh, you know. Pretty standard, you know, making videos, t- playing same, guitars, same played, old shit. <laughs> yeah, got got went out for uh, two shows with Good Trouble last weekend. Played Nashville, yes. which was excellent, and then South Fulton, Kentucky, which was um, we played well. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was it was good. You came out to the show. Had I a did. Good time. It's it's always fun to like come see you because then everyone else comes too. Because like you know it's it's ironic that. I was I was talking to Morgan because we're getting our our Nam plans together, and uh, she was like, you know, yeah, who do you like to really hang out with? I was like, oh, you know, I like to hang out with Rhett and uh, Corey and RJ. <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> all the people I see like all the time. Yeah, but yeah, it's always a always a good time getting to hang out. And uh, it was it was and, pretty nerve wracking, man. Like there were um, there were some heavy hitter guitar players in that audience. And oh yeah. Once, once we, we started, we played the analog, which is a room I've never played before. It's a gorgeous room in, in Nashville. And, um, you know, we had a good turnout and everything, but it was like, I was just seeing friends of mine walk in and I was like, Oh, oh, Tyler Bryant, Tyler Bryant, we we got up and played with us. Yeah. Tyler, Graham, RJ, Benjamin forehand, you know, I was like, Oh Jesus, there's like (laughs) real players in here. Nashville, you did great, and your two Thanks. rock slayed. It's I uh, just wouldn't want to stand in front of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's something else that's new. See it behind me here. Oh, there it is. The two rock, uh, the classic reverb signature, one hundred watt, with the matching cabinet. Yeah, there's a video coming on that. Um, it's a beauty. I took that out for two shows, um, and <laughs> yeah, the poor people sitting in front of me. I mean. I had it on the 50 watt setting and the master was as low as it would go. And I yeah. was like, every time I would lean into my boost or something for a solo, it was a, a couple and, and the lady, I could just see her like wincing. <laughs> like, just leaning sorry. back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what's new with you? It's been going on. Uh, we wrapped the chorus. Um, we announced it September 1st is the release. Thank you. Um, they are all shipped. Um, for like the first initial batch and we're just trying to get ready for that. But this weekend I'm going to Auburn uh, for an event. And then the weekend after that, I'm going to CME. So hopefully by the time this comes out, um, if you are in the Chicago area, uh, reverb CME Saturday, the 26th, we're going to be there. Like they're just hosting a huge pedal builder event. Um, Josh, Robert Keeley, uh, Chase, like everybody, like, Literally everybody is going to be there. So nice. Come hang out. But yeah. Uh, So before we get started, let's thank our patrons over on Patreon. If you go to the link in the description below, you can learn all about the tiers uh, for supporting 
dipped in tone and um, join up with uh, our lovely folks that that support the show. Yeah, you can get access to the Patreon member only Discord, uh, which is a cool little community over there. You can join in while we're taping live the show. So uh, it's a great way to support us if you like what we do. Also, subscribe. If you watch the show on a regular yes. basis, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on. It does help new people find the show. And uh, also, thank you to Sweetwater for sponsoring today's video. Yes, I... Uh, we both are going through a, a season of purge. Yes. I have been getting rid of a lot of gear because uh, I think both you and I have been looking around our closets full of stuff and gone, why do I have all this stuff? Uh-huh. But of course, once you start selling things, then the coffers slowly refill mm-hmm. and you go, wait a minute, <laughs> what can I get? So the place to get stuff is sweetwater.com. You can get all the, the everything you need. If, even if you don't just need a new guitar, chances are you're going to need new cable soon, power supply, pedal board, gig oh, yeah. bag. I, I've got to do all this, 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 um, these events and I'm looking around going, damn, I really wish I had a double mono bag. Just go to Sweetwater. Actually, and the thing I'm really excited about with Sweetwater now is they're moving into the sort of content creator market. So they're doing a lot of production stuff, camera stuff, lighting stuff, which for me is a huge help because I use this stuff day in and day out. And actually, a lot of guitar players are moving into, even if you just want to start posting, you know, more of your playing on Instagram, get yourself a little interface that plugs right into your phone and makes, you know, the the whole production process easier. All that stuff's available. Sweetwater.com. Thank you, Sweetwater, for sponsoring today's episode and uh yeah all the pertinent links are in the description yeah all right so let's throw this over to the interview with mr ariel posen here we go ariel yo welcome to the show man thanks for coming on hey thanks for having me good to see you guys so glad you're here we have one thing we need to clear up before we we get into the uh into the interview here zach do you want to do you want to breach the subject Will you definitively tell everyone how to say your name? Because so many people get it wrong and it drives me crazy. And I'm sure it drives you just absolutely nuts. I've gotten to a point where having a name like mine is almost just the, the pronunciation is super easy, but it just cannot be done. So I never correct anybody. <laughs> However, since we are on a guitar podcast, I'm going to make this very easy for you. If everyone can say guitar and then say E-L at the end, guitar E-L, get rid of the git, R-E-L. There it is. Boom. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Well, <clears throat> before we get into, because you've had a lot of things happen, uh, even since the last time that I saw you, um, there's right. lots of stuff going on, but I found out something about you a long time ago and I, I've... I had forgotten about it. And when I was thinking about things to talk about, can we talk about Todd and the book of pure evil for a second? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So for those that don't know, Todd and the book of pure evil was a TV show. I think it was a Canadian show. Yeah. That was kind of like if uh, the evil dead and Shaun of the dead happened in a high school and there were some guitar involved a little bit. There's some shredding that, that occurs. Yeah. And, um, your hands are the hands that are being filmed during the shredding of all that show or the first season anyway did you first of all you you watch that show or did you i don't know how long it lasted Uh, yeah 
I did. It was great. It's it's really campy and goofy and silly, <laughs> but it's it's fun and, and and I love Shaun of the Dead and all that stuff. But how how does something like that happen? Like how do you fall into say, hey hey, you play guitar? Can I just film your hands? Yeah, that's a great question. What a deep cut of a gig. So that was that was thirteen years ago. We met Zach. I think what two thousand fourteen ish. So this was four uh, yeah. years, four years before that I was primarily, you know, hustling, working locally, doing tours, side manning it. And I think just through, uh, Winnipeg just has a, an organization called Manitoba music where you can become a member and you, you're in this directory. So if, for example, a company called Carry Casting, which is like the local company that they use if they need extras or if they need to hire out anyone for film or TV because they shoot so much stuff in Winnipeg. I think it's just because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll call out. So I don't know if this was through that directory. I think it was through word of mouth. I think they they asked this friend of mine who's unfortunately no longer with us, but he was this great guitar player in the scene. If I ever like had a mentor ish, like it would be this guy, this guy, Greg Lowe. And I'm 99% sure he pitched me for the gig. He didn't do it. So basically they just reached out and it it was like stunt work. It was basically stunt guitar. Um, I had never done anything like that before. I think I'd maybe been an extra in a film once and just like, you know, have you guys ever done that? Been an extra? No, no, I haven't. Okay, because no. I was gonna say you it, like the experience is it's horse shit. Like, <laughs> I, I have worked on a film set before in a musical context. So, how did you actually do it? Did you pre-record the part? First of all, was it you actually playing in the show? It was not me. Okay, um, so you I, had to I, mime the part. That's right. So I had to. For it was like com- crazy shredding, sweeping, all this shit. I don't even do, but I know how to fake it. Uh-huh. But I don't know how to, I couldn't really do it. So, so basically this guy in LA, I forget his name. Uh, he scored the entire show and he, he did all the little in between bits and the show itself had two, at least the episodes. I don't know if it was more than one episode, but there were two guitar battles. And this guy is like guitar battling this dude. And another scene was it's him in a cafeteria. And then there was another scene where he's like decked out like a dude from Prince Sorry, what am I talking about? Prince from Kiss having yeah. one of those days. And um, I think it was like against Satan or the devil. I don't know. It was <laughs> so, so tale as old as time. Tale as old as time. They give you a call sheet. They go, mm-hmm. hey, show up at four in the morning. Not even joking. You know, that's that's film life for you. Get makeup, hair. You're going to potentially be filming between this time and this time. But be prepared to be here all day. Here is the two tracks you need to learn and um memorize so you know it's like an 18 second solo and then another 14 to 18 seconds and even though i wasn't really playing it was difficult i remember Mm -hmm. struggling just to not only memorize it but just make it look convincing now for for us the three of us here watching we it's easy to know like oh you mind me but the (laughs) average film person and director producer you could you could kind of be playing it almost incorrectly and they go oh yeah oh yeah this is, this is great <laughs> looks so great I, I think I did a good job I think I, I I like tried to mime it as well as I could but yeah it was just an interesting experience you know there was a huge the the lunch room scene was like 
30 people in this cafeteria and I had to do it like 15 times. Sometimes they were like, ah, can you do it a bit this way? Or can you do it this way? We need to get a close up now. It's really funny too. Cause I'm a very bad nail biter my whole life. I've, I've been chomping in the bit, so to speak. So they're getting up close. I'm like, Hey guys, just so you know, the nails are hideous. They're like, that's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> and we'll fix it in post. Don't worry about we'll it. We'll fix Yeah. We'll fix it in the marketing. <laughs> and the other scene, same thing. It was in this, like a bigger soundstage in the, they just built a soundstage in this gymnasium. This was all at a school called TechFoc in Winnipeg. And yeah, also took, took a few tries. They were like, that one section doesn't look correct. I'm like, okay, maybe you're right. Can I hear it one more time? And they played it and took a few times and they want close-ups and, the biggest piss off was I wasn't really rocking a beard yet. I started committing to, to having a beard like 2012, but I always had a, like the musician shadow or the musician shag going on. And I showed up to hair. They never told me this. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm just, I'm here for hair and makeup. Like, you're, you're not clean shaven. Like, Oh, was I supposed to be or what? You didn't, didn't tell. So they made me shave on the spot with a dry razor. Uh. I'm bleeding, <laughs> bleeding all over the place at 430 in the morning going, what the fuck is going on? Man. And then they and then they put me in full kiss makeup for this battle scene. And of course, you never see my face. You never see anything above my stomach. And that's just the world of film and TV, man. In 20, I've never talked about this, but in 2017, I got a gig the summer of 2017. So Atlanta is huge in film and TV production now. Like Mm. almost everything seemingly is shot here in Atlanta. And I got a gig through um, Rick Beato, actually, where this is before he was on YouTube or anything where I was working for him at the studio. And we got hired by this uh, this film company this this uh i'm not going to name any names because this was a horrible experience the worst gig i've ever had but anyways <laughs> it was a musical tv show think like glee but a little bit different so musical high school and it's all you know the whole season's about these characters and everything so we got hired as a studio to do all of the cast pre-records so we would bring these actors in and record their vocals and heavily auto-tune and fix them and then I would go on set on days where they were actually filming those scenes to make sure that they looked like they knew what they were doing. Cause there oftentimes there'd be like a band on set or they'd be in a studio. So I was like this musical consultant basically. Yeah. And that was my first time ever doing anything in the film industry. It's the worst experience I've ever had. Uh, you could not, there's not enough money in the world that would ever get me back on a film set ever. It was the most <laughs> I know. toxic high pressure high stress gig and i got completely thrown in the deep end man nobody like i showed up on a film set didn't know anything didn't know how to read the call sheet i was late half the time because i couldn't understand where i didn't know where i was supposed to stand who i was supposed to talk to and uh yeah it was it was nuts so but yeah you started talking about that and i was it started unlocking this core memory for me of like getting yelled at by a music supervisor for something that wasn't my job and yeah not not a great time that that was very similar in the sense that like I remember being on set and they're just like everyone expects you to just know how it goes. Uh-huh. These 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 guys and gals that are they're working crew or they're set or they're actors, directors, whatever. They're just like, Oh, don't you know? Like I was like, I don't know shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm just a guitar player, dude. I don't know how um, people do it, man. It's uh it, it 
you think touring and stuff is high stress and being on oh. big tours and dude, it is nothing compared to a film set. Like those people are just hanging on by a thread, it seems. So Oh yeah. I mean when they're shoot you know, you better believe those like they're shooting those Marvel movies in at Pinewood, right? Uh huh. There's Atlanta. a lot of big studios here, yeah. And they're definitely just they get in. Same thing. You're there at four in the morning. You know, it's a bit cushy. You got your own dressing room, I'm sure, and whatnot. But those hours, I don't care if you're Robert Downey Jr. or uh-huh. you're us being an extra in Guardians of the Galaxy, which we're not. But if they're hiring, I think the three of us would like that position maybe. But <laughs> it sucks. It's grueling and it's grim. And like it makes you wonder, yes, they do get paid a lot, maybe too much. But at the same time, when it takes four months to shoot some like a movie and like you commit your time in a way, I mean, it's just based on the money that it makes, of course. Yeah. But yeah, that is a grueling, that is a grind. It's a yeah, grind, agreed. man. Yeah. So I want to turn the page slightly here. So getting back to guitar, it seems nowadays, and I see this with you. I see this with other well-known slide players. You know, Dylan Adams, for example, comes to mind. Anytime you make a post on any social media outlet that is featuring slide playing it seems to me that half of the comments are asking about what tuning you're using, what tuning, 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 tuning. So let's talk about your tuning. What are you using? How did you get there? Why do you use it? All that. Funny enough, the question I get asked the most is what is the slide? Which <laughs> um, works great when you have yeah. your own brand. Which I actually have one right here. I have, uh, I have one of your slides with uh, my logo on it because we were testing them out. But this is actually like one of my favorite slide shout out to the rock slide but available uh, next month the red shell the red shell ariel posen amalgam the, slide the, the collab slide yeah. i don't think people are supposed to know this exists but this is just a test <laughs> pressing so there you go danny's funny like that um yeah, yeah they, they asked me what the slide is tuning wise i started playing slide way before i ever uh learned any other tunings i just played in standard tuning i was learning like george harrison lines and stuff like that. And I didn't even think in my head, Hey, if I change the tuning, maybe there's a different sound. Maybe it's easier. Um, it wasn't until I started listening to a guy named Kevin Bright, who's a Canadian guy, my favorite guitar player, hands down in the world. He's the first guy that I heard playing slide where it really spoke to me and it was innovative and interesting not to say that all the legends are not interesting. And I, I'd seen Derek Trucks before. Me, along with the other thousand people in the room, are like, well, that's that's as good as it ever will get. Like, it doesn't get better than that. But I never had the feeling of, that's what I want to sound like. When I listened to Kevin, I had this, that's, that's kind of how I hear music and slide. And just very innovative. He took chances. He, he's like, it's almost like he didn't give a fuck. He just like, goes with what he's feeling and then you either crash, you burn. And it, therefore it's so much more interesting. And, and, uh, you're like on the edge of the seat listening cause you don't know what's going to happen, but it was so moving. Like the way he'd use chordal stuff and play a little bit behind the slide and he, the way he would kind of mix droning of strings and chords with movements with the slide and immediately hook, line and sinker. I was like that, that's everything to me. I never was moved really by like the Dwayne Allman kind of, or like the more bluesier rock style. Like the, like the classic things. And again, there's nothing against that. It's timeless and killer. 
It's just not what spoke to me. So rather than coming it from coming from it from that angle, can't speak today. It was that it was this other side, and that kind of bled into how I approached slide like on sideman gigs because there would be times where I just a lot of roots music or rock or country. You play slide and. I think mixture a mixture of being inspired by it and I think it I clicked with it. I think there was like a connection with it where people would be like, Hey, that sounded good. You know, this other song doesn't have slide on the record, but why don't you just play it? And I was like, Okay, sure. And uh and then just kind of went from there, I guess. That was the upbringing uh oh, and then sorry, through Kevin, I I started exploring open tuning which was open E. I, I took a guitar that I wasn't so precious about, tuned it to open E, and I would take it on every gig, with the exception of gigs that really were important. You know, I'm talking a gig that was three sets at a bar that no one was listening to. I'm talking about a, a showcase gig for an artist where the songs you could have played hanging upside down from a skyscraper and sleeping. <laughs> Just like very simple stuff where I knew that I wouldn't crash and burn, I'd do it. And... Just by doing, I, you know, I learned, okay, major is now a minor seven chord. Uh, <laughs> major seven chord is now, a, a, it's like what was a minor six voicing. And all these things in my brain started changing. I figured out like the basic scales as far as I needed to get. Very still rudimentary in terms of knowing the fretboard. And it, it was more just throwing myself into the fire. A lot of trial by fire. A lot of, oops, sorry, <laughs> you know. But, but by doing that over and over again, it taught me the, the fretboard in a different way. And I did it enough where I was like, okay, standard tuning guitar is guitar. And open tuning is like just another voice of it. It's like almost more piano-y to me. It's not this bluesier thing. It's just actually more of a melodic left-hand, right-hand sounding thing. And yeah, I was always, I was always drawn to both. It was never, I never had like a, I need to just commit to one. I love the idea of switching between because I get really inspired. Sorry, I feel like I've been talking for 10 no, minutes. No, this, this is great. This great. is perfect. perfect. <laughs> um, you know, I'd, I'd be writing or I'd be playing in standard tuning. And then after a while, you know, you get in a rut, gets a little stale. And it's like, uh, I don't know what to, where to go from here. And you switch the tuning on three, four of the strings or sorry, three of the strings. And it's like, it's a brand new instrument and, and you look at it a different way and you sit on that for a while and then you go back and it's fresh again in standard tuning. And I just love that. I, it's like playing two instruments, but they're the same instrument, if that makes sense. So those are the only two tunings I play in open tuning, like open E uh, intervals or, or, you know, but you know, in D, D flat, C, E flat, I like if you give me open G or dad gad even I'm I'm screwed like it I, it trips me up like crazy. Well, the way I like to think about open G is it's just open E but from the fifth string. So you just exactly. you just pretend the sixth string's not even there and it's the same voicing. So so open E was your gateway drug into yep. the open and I love how you said it it's more piano like because it is it it sort of changes how you approach the guitar and the voicings and and your melodic choices but what then led you to go from open E down to D or C sharp well Kevin 
bright listening to him was doing it and it never dawned on me that you could even tune a guitar differently outside of E. I was like, well, there's drop D. I get that. Uh, you know, I, I was in the, grew up in the era where corn limp biscuit. Oh, oh said yeah. It, it was very popular at, at one time. And, you know, we'd all be trying to no, none of us had a seven string. It was like, how do, how does these, how do these sounds happen? I remember listening to, to like big rack, for example, that's a yeah. band that was gigantic yeah. in Canada before kind of branching out. And I feel like they've had a second revival in the last decade, which is awesome. But I was like, how do these sounds, how do the, how do these guitars sound so big? It never dawned on me. Oh, you can just tune down. So I started tuning down and experimenting and in time I, I, I learned like, and, um, uh, Sorry, I was doing that and I was doing random experimentation and uh, in the Landriths, we had a couple guitars where we would like, obviously Joey plays in uh, C, but I I'd bring a couple guitars in the road and I tuned down and it was like, oh, I get it. Like matching the tension. It's because if you tune down, it's not going to like 11s. You know, if I'm in yeah. E with 11s if i go to d maybe it should be 12s or 13s if i go down to c maybe it should be 15 or 60 and it just made this i've never a math guy this is the most math i've ever been <laughs> like distinguishing numbers and and basically weight and physics towards it and from there and then still it just it became a, an interesting and drawing kind of sound obviously listened a lot to i feel like when blake mills put out hi ho mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of guitar players, again, 2014, end of 2014, yeah. first song on the record, If I'm Unworthy, everyone heard that uh, open D flat or C sharp thing. And it was just like, well, that's what we're all doing now, I guess. You know, it was, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it was very inspiring for a lot of people, including myself. Yeah. Is there a tuning or because I mean, switching between the two, um, when you get comfortable with, with that is, is awesome. And I feel like that's why so many people have kind of leaned one direction or the other, but is there a tuning that you gravitate towards? Like if you're going to write or experiment, it, do you have like a starting point? Is that usually just standard, you know, E tuning or wh where are you going yeah. for that? I'll start in standard E. Mm -hmm. um, if I write, if I write with someone, I'll honestly just grab anything. I, I don't go in thinking this is going to be a baritone B2B kind of thing. I just see what happens. And then oftentimes I'll write something because at the end of the day, it's just chords. It's just music. Yeah. I'll get, I'll explore more with it and get deeper with, a, you know, with textures and like in the, in the pre-production and the recording phase of like putting something together and like picking it's all about that. Was, okay. I'm all over the place, but that was a huge thing was, you know, you're recording a guitar track or you're recording a song. If you have like eight tracks that are all just standard tuning, even if you put a capo here and there, it kind of sounds just, they kind of get messy. And I'm yeah. going to say this, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. Huge. I saw them twice last month. They came to town. I saw them play to 80,000 people. And then two nights later, they played a hockey arena to 3000 people. And both nights sounded amazing, but there's three guitar players all playing in the same range. And it was hard to, you know, it was a little, it wasn't messy sounding, 
But when you have so many guitars in the same range, in the same position, and really tuned the same way, it's hard for stuff to poke out when it needs to. Even if your front of house is like as much on the ball as their guy was. It sounded amazing, but like it really reminded me of putting tracks together where it's all the same stuff. So it was really in a recording scenario where it was like, okay, it'd be really cool to do some sprays or some donuts diamonds with like a standard tune here. And then I'm going to double it in open D with just in first position. And it just gives it such depth and different kind of body, which is very cool. So that's a big part of it. Yeah. It's almost like there's something about when you tune a guitar down even when you go to a heavier string gauge, it's almost like the harmonic structure of what's coming out of the guitar is changing. Like the voice of the guitar is changing. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. I have some ideas. Um, but especially like, you know, strats, for example, I, I have gotten to the point where I almost don't like a strat in, in E standard. I want to hear it in E flat or D standard because yeah. it's something about the scale length and those single coil pickups that just the guitar opens up and, and with, it inspires you to play differently. So, you know, on this tuning thing, I think there's a lot of guitar players out there that could benefit from experimenting with open tunings. What would you tell someone who's maybe like getting open tuning curious? You know, maybe they're thinking about switching a guitar from standard to open E or something. I think you found our title, Rhett. (laughs) (laughs) Open tuning curious. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Hands down. And whenever I give the odd lesson, I say, if you're looking to get into, because everyone that comes for a lesson they want to play in b standard which is some, which is probably the tuning i've gravitated to the most mm-hmm. down a fourth in standard tuning um when i do rel posen music when i do everything else i'm still primarily in standard but for open got to start an open e because why it's already hard enough when certain strings are going to be changing for you why make it harder and transpose right at the gate when at least your E to E notes are going to be in the same place as you know them. It's just the guts inside are going to slightly change. And I just say, take the, everything you know in standard and just take sit down. There's no rush. There's no time limit. You know, if it's a little difficult, that's fine. But just work out the things you already know in open tuning. It's just a matter of, oops, nope, no. Nope. Oh, there it is. And you find it, eventually memorize it, and it becomes muscle memory just like standard tuning is muscle memory. Guitar is maybe one of the most muscle memory instruments out of all the instruments. And you just have to make it into your, you just have to pull it into your brain so that you never have to think about it. But if you're going to start with like open D or open C right out the gate, yeah, you can learn the basic chord shapes, the, the tense with like the open strings on the top. It sounds pretty but you're not really going to know where you are. You're not really going to be making the kind of music that you're really wanting to, because you're going to be limited by not fully knowing the fretboard yet. And you'll be like halfway there if you just start an opening. Yeah. That's what I'd say. So nice. you have some new music coming. I don't know how much we can divulge. Cause I, you know, I got sent all the stuff and I want to check it out, but I, I'm not going to say any dates or names or anything. So uh, can we talk about what's coming next for you? Cause we listen to it and yeah. there's a lot of things to talk about. So, um, yeah, it's, it's coming out very soon. Let's, let's do we just say that it's all good. <laughs> do we have dates? Albums out on September 8th. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we start touring in, a, in a eight days. So it's Ooh. about to get, it's about to get busy. 
Yes. So in the description, we'll have links to, to everything, to Ariel's tour dates, uh, albums, you know, anything that we're talking about today, you can find in the show notes if you're listening or in the video description here on YouTube. So, yeah. In the release that, that we got, we were, you know, I was reading through it. It says you wrote 30 songs and had to whittle it down to 10. Yeah. So can we talk about the creative process for you and how that, um, like, how does that look when you say, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this. Where, where does it begin? And, and then how, when you're, when you're getting to that, that point where you have to really decide and say, Hey, look, this is good enough for the record, or this is what I want on the record. What does that look like? Can we talk a little bit about how you go through that songwriting process? Let me give some pretext here. So my first record, how long I had seven songs to my name. That's all I had. And that's all I recorded. I recorded seven songs with three little one minute guitar interludes. So it would be a 10 track record. Really, it should be an EP. It's all I had. We went with it. My second record, Headway. I got more comfortable and had more time in between. And I had 20 songs. Decided to record 12 of them. Why? Because the more songs I had, it became clear which were the strongest. And it's not that the eight that didn't make it weren't good, just in terms of cohesion and like a listening experience, those 12 were the ones. For this record, first of all, we were just a few months into lockdown time. Mm -hmm. And while it took me a few months to start feeling creative again, I'm sure the same with you guys. Um, it was like, it was like Christmas for creativity. I was just like every day I was wanting to write every day. I was feeling inspired. All my friends and colleagues were at home and they were feeling the same way. It was a, like a lot of collaboration and co-writing and I just took advantage of it. And I, for me, songwriting is even just like having a career in music. It's like, who know the next day is never guaranteed. We really never know what's coming. We never really know how things are going to go. Hit it, hit it as hard as you can. Cause you never know. And with songwriting, when it's, when it feels good, like I just keep it going because once I go on tour, once I'm doing other things, I do not have one creative bone in my body linked to songwriting. It's just too, too much mental capacity being used otherwise. So we were in a time where nothing else was really going on. I was writing daily or every couple days, maybe like two to three days a week, which for me is a lot. Um, I'm not like a sit down every day and try to write an idea it needs to just kind of happen and yeah 30 songs eventually and whenever i am writing if i'm really passionate about a song if i think it's got potential to be to have life beyond the work tape or voice memo on my phone i'll demo it program drums or i'll get someone to play on it i'll play everything and sing on it one or two takes, like not spend a lot of time, but just, just enough to have something for reference. And once I do that, you know, trying to avoid demoitis, which if anyone doesn't know what demoitis is, it's when you just reference your demos too much. And when you do the real thing, you're so attached to it that you can't really see outside. And sometimes that can be a detriment. Um, I just did that process, figured I had 15 songs that I really thought were were strong. 10 felt like, yes, this is definitely a record. And five of them also felt like 
this should be something, but I don't hear it with these songs that I picked for the record. So five of those songs were actually released a year ago. I, I put out an EP called the Downtown EP. And the reason was I basically didn't hear them together. I loved them and I just wanted to put them separately. So that was a, just a little side project. I still wanted to get those songs in the world. We did it all remotely. Ash played drums on them. The rest of my band played remotely from their homes. And it was just a fun little thing to do. And then, but these 10 songs, this was like, I thought these were the strongest songs I'd written yet. And um, by having so much time to really push them against the other 20 that I had, it, it was clear to me that these would be the ones to move forward. And then we did. It's interesting listening to, to the record. Like, I think to me, I can really hear your progression as a songwriter and it, these songs feel well, I, I guess what I want to ask is, can you tell us more about the nuts and bolts of your creative songwriting process? So you mentioned you only write two or three days a week. Is that something where you're sort of scheduling that in where you're saying, okay, tomorrow I'm going to write and I'm going to focus on getting a song or a demo done? Or is it just you wake up that morning with an idea and you just have to get it out? And then once you're actually writing, what what does that actually look like for you? Are you sitting down with an acoustic and a notepad or are you building a track out? How does that work? Okay. So in terms of scheduling, when, if I'm writing something just on my own, almost never is it planned. That's just me. I pick up a guitar. I either plug in or I, even I don't plug in and I just mess around and something might hit me and I go, interesting. And I hit the voice memo or I could be out walking sometimes. I get my best ideas if I go hiking or if I go for a jog and I have like nothing, I'm not even listening to music. And I, it's like first four lines of this song and I just text them to myself or I write it. That, that happens a lot. If I'm co-writing with someone, that's scheduled, obviously. And that is something I'm like, okay, Wednesday, I need to show up with an idea because if I'm co-writing with somebody potentially for my own song, it's, it's, it has to be my idea. It has to be something I bring. I, I collaborate and I write with a lot of people for their own projects and I love doing that. And it's always easier when it's not your own song, but for mine, it's not, it doesn't feel genuine in my own song. If it's, if I'm, if it's something that I'm not bringing. So if I know something's coming, I'll intentionally sit down and try to just come up with something so that I'm ready. And I have at least a chorus idea or a verse idea and a, some chords. Now, when your other question, when the, what the writing process is like is, yeah, it's just me sitting at the computer. I just find it more efficient these days to type it than uh, do the old school way. So I just, I'll type it if I, you know, we live in such a good time for, for this kind of thing, because how many times have you guys written something and it's like, should we have a coffee? Yeah. And then you come back and you're like, Oh my God, what was that like bridge section we'd written? Like I totally forget it now. So right. I'm always like documenting. I'm always recording just, just to avoid that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm, again, I'm not precious about if it's an acoustic, if it's an electric, it really comes down to like, if my wife's home, do I need to be a little more quiet? Then I'll probably just do an unplugged electric or I'll go headphones if I'm by myself. Who knows? I, it's it's really just what I feel like grabbing. Um, it's more so in the recording and the demoing part where I'll just listen, feel what it needs. 
I have my tendencies. We all have our things, you know, Rhett, I know you produce Zach. I know you're always recording. You're making tracks and stuff too, right? Yeah. For I'm doing for, that for now the, for all my demos, for demos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's the same process. We all have our like go-tos and our things that we have like, okay, I know I'm going to throw down one of these. I'm going to throw down like this ARP thing. I always do. I'm going to put like a fuzz thing on the last chorus Cause that's what I always do. For me, it's like chords. I, I'm like, okay, I'm always going to do a two major to the four minor. So this was the first record where I caught myself doing a lot of those things that I always do. And I went, oh, oh, run the other way. Try something else. Yeah. And, and I, I made a conscious decision to just try to, yeah, try new stuff. So I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of guitar players out there, myself included, that have come up primarily being guitar players and identifying as a guitar player. And then as you get a little older and more experienced, you realize like, well, no, actually, there's more to this pursuit of music than just playing guitar. And they're starting to get a little more interested in writing. But some things like for myself, as an example, I, I do produce a lot. I'm working with artists and I do co-writes, but I'm more in the musical side of things. And I'm finding myself getting more curious and interested in lyric writing, but that's been a huge challenge. So is that something that you struggled with early on in your writing or were you always just kind of like working with words and, and lyric ideas? Most days I feel like I still struggle with it. Um, some people just have their strengths. I started writing songs and lyrics when I was... I'd say just, let's say, call it like almost 20 years ago. And you you have to start from nothing. You have to kind of start somewhere and just throw yourself into it and be like, this doesn't sing well, or I'm not really singing metaphorically here. I'm just kind of saying words. And that's fine to start. You have to start somewhere. You know, I know a lot of people and have a lot of friends that they're constantly just writing down ideas and in journals or on their phone. They just ha constantly have words and ideas and cadences in their head. I'm just not like that. If I know directly what I'm writing about in a song, it's a lot easier. I think so many times we struggle to write because there's a few reasons we're afraid. We're a little self-conscious and we're like, what if people think this is stupid? B, you're like, this is a little personal maybe. And I don't know that I want to put this out there. And three, there's, there's like the you know, the purists are, aren't going to think I'm speaking elegantly enough. You know, like think of Jason Isbell, who's maybe the, the goat. And anytime you listen to one of his songs, you listen and you're like, oh, I could have thought of that. <laughs> and that's how good it is, is that it, it it's so complex, yet so simple and accessible and relatable. It's almost like you got to go over this hump of complexity and and detail when you realize, wait a minute, you just have to just be honest and authentic and genuine with what you're saying and just really tell a story and make it make sense. And the more honest you are, it's, it's a lot easier to write. So what helps me is just pushing the noise out and not worrying so much about what I think people are going to think. Because in anything we do, especially in art, if you want to be an artist, you can't care what people do. You have to kind of make it for yourself first, right? Yep. And then you just hope for the best. Uh, lyrics, I, I will admit, is is uh, I have good days and bad days, and I definitely have more 
tough days than I do with music. If you give me, if you're like, Hey, can you give me an arrangement of some chords? And that comes like clockwork to me. Um, it's the lyrics that don't, but that's just how it is for me. I'd say if I had to give any advice, you know, just it's like going to the gym, the more you write and the more you get your brain used to like putting words together, it gets easier. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you're more in shape. Your conditioning's up. I, I've been trying, like you, like you said, to do more of the pedal demo thing, uh, and, and not use like pre-recorded stuff. I've been using a lot of, uh, drum loops because I, like, I don't, I can't program drums. I'm <laughs> not good at that stuff, but I find myself really struggling. Um, you know, the, making a pedal demo is an interesting thing. Um, I'm not really writing a song. It's just a snippet and a showcase, but I'm struggling to, f- to figure out how to do not the same thing every time, just to a different drum beat. And, um, it's been, it's been quite like, it's, it's quite the learning experience because I've, I've played guitar for, you know, geez, 20 something years, but I, I, I've I've done a lot of writing, mostly on acoustic, like t- trying to write songs, but trying to write riffs and things that so that's listenable and exciting for people is is so difficult. Especially when I have like my style and my vibe, but trying to make something that sounds musical and fun to listen to is just is really really hard. So, yeah, the the fact that the, the, what you're talking about, like doing the same thing over and over again, uh, and to, just having to turn your brain off and run the other way is something that I think a lot of people might not realize they need to do because sometimes, you know, there's one thing of like having a sound and a feel. And I feel like you're a lot of your um, like more up-tempo and like higher gain stuff has like a real groove to it, but they don't feel all like, oh, that's the same song and that's the same song. But I feel like a lot of people kind of fall into that trap. So that's, to me, that's great advice because I'm literally going through it right now. I'm trying to make a demo for the Mjolnir and it's like, it's kicking my ass for no reason other than I just like, like what, how do I make a chord progression? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Let me just say as a side note, cause most people that watch or listen to this haven't heard Zach play guitar in the same room in real life. Zach, I, to this day, I've always called it the Zach scrape. I don't know why, oh, you know, yeah. I've called it that before you have maybe the best actual tone out of your hands. Wow. Something about the way you, I've always said that, you know, I've said this to you before, mm-hmm. the way you attack, you just get something out of the guitar acoustically. Even if you just plug into a Les Paul, but sorry, play a Les Paul, not plugged in. You have this thing that you really only experience if you're in the same room with you. And it's a, uh, it's a magical thing. Just yeah. well, say can, can confirm. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I will, I will add on to that. You do have excellent touch. Um, and it's funny, like, you know, he, Zach and I always go back and forth on pedal boards and he's much more simplistic, but I think it's because you are at your best when you're plugged straight into an amp and it's just a guitar and amp interacting together. So yeah, isn't that ironic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get all that pedal bullshit out of there, man. Honestly, oh, yeah. man. So, so speaking of pedals, Ariel, let's talk about fuzz. Yeah. So you are a, uh, you're, you're a fellow fuzz aficionado, fuzz evangelist if I may. Yes. Yes. What's your approach to fuzz? Because the world of fuzz, as you know, is wide and wonderful and deep. And and it's not a one size fits all type of effect. There's a lot of nuance and detail that even go into fuzz pedals of the same make tone benders, for example, or fuzz faces. 
depending on the tolerances of the parts inside, they all kind of sound different. So what do you look for with a great fuzz tone? Uh, so like there's a song on your, on your new record, uh, man, you raised where there's a great octave fuzz solo towards the end, which is slamming. So yeah, let, t- tell me about your fuzz approach. Okay. Well, funny enough that that song is an Argo. <laughs> hey. Yeah. It's the Argo that I've been asking for years for Zach to make in a small with that, with the setting. I know. I, so <clears throat> for those <laughs> listening at home, Ariel has texted me about this for for a long time, years now, about like shrinking it down and having like not the Argonaut because that's a totally different circuit, but make the Argo just like one thing, one knob, and put everything else inside. And I I swear it is on the docket, and then like other major pro- projects get <laughs> yeah. like like oh I got to get the chorus done or all these other things. But I I. I'm going to finish that damn thing. I promise. It, it is selfish. It is, you know, I get it. It's, it's only, it's something that I only use a certain way and I, I just want it smaller. So I, it's a little selfish. So I under, it's all good. One day, it will that, ha- I, in the comments, everybody listening, how bad would you want a miniature AP Argo? That take, just has, take me there. Yeah. That's what I want. Okay. I want that. All right. Mm. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it yeah. one day. I promise next year. So, so the way I use that pedal is the same. I'd use like a Zonk style pedal or a fuzz face. I, I mean, that Argo is a little different. It's, it's very like, it's spitty, but it's sounds like you're taking paper and ripping it in the most satisfying way. And I just love that, but it's it, no fuzz pedal like that can get the sound I want without an overdrive after it. Mm. That's the essential ingredient for me. I don't love fuzz on its own. You know, there's the odd time, maybe on a session or recording it, it really has its place and sounds beautiful. But for live, which is, you know, the main thing I do is like, I need to have it this certain way. So that the way I like to have fuzz is almost no gain. I find when there's too much fuzz, sorry, when there's too much gain on a fuzz, it kind of gets a little saturated, a little clippy, a little fizzy, almost too high gain. And it loses the essence of what I think a fuzz should be, which should be like this blooming sound, like this gigantic, pillowy, bloomy, gigantic thing, like a mushroom or something. <laughs> that doesn't sound so satisfying, but Ooh, you know what I mean, right? Mushroom fuzz, we got it. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I find by having the gain come from the overdrive pedal, it lets the fuzz act as like a headroom thing more. Mm. And I really appreciate you saying I'm an aficionado of fuzz. I kind of like don't know shit. I I do, but I don't. I know what I like. And I I use every fuzz the way I think I like to. And that's just what I do. And it works for me. And it's, yeah, it's just kind of, I have volume pinned on fuzz. And I'll have gain at like two or three. Bias, depending, you know, that's a whole different discussion. And and that really comes down again for maybe a track. It might call for something more spitty, maybe not nine out of 10 times for, for it, for an AP show. I like it just to be open, big, kind of like punching you in the face. So what is the overdrive after the fuzz accomplishing? Well, the overdrive after the fuzz is on always. I am never playing just clean into an amp. Really. I've always had the overdrive on And I really started doing this maybe seven or eight years ago. And it's like the Jeff Beck thing. I, 
I remember the first time I saw him and it was like, okay, I think I get it now. I'd always, I'd be toe tapping on pedals, overdrive this, this overdrive, this boost. And my volume was always wide open. Precursor, there's no right or wrong way to do this. This is just how I do it for anyone listening. If you do it the way I'm about to say, I don't keep doing it the way you're doing it. I'm Switzerland here, but I felt that I was always getting too much output really. And I wasn't controlling my dynamics and there was no dynamics at all because it was just all this volume and output. And once I started re like messing with the volume and living the majority of the time around between six and eight, I realized not only could I get that clean sound, but it was fuller and, um, warmer, but with a touch of that little breakup with an overdrive on, but I had so much more dynamics and I could control my entire sound so much more. In fact, I haven't used a volume pedal in years. I, I did a month with Tom Jones like a few months ago and I, I just ended up getting a volume pedal for a few songs. And I was like, you know what? It was kind of the shit I forgot, but I wasn't using it. <laughs> I wasn't using it the way I use of like my volume knob. It was more of like for swells and stuff like that. Yeah. But I know a lot of people use a volume pedal to control their dynamics too. And it just, you lose all your tone and your sound and your output from that rather than the last thing that's going to your hands is the guitar itself, right? Man, that is one of my favorite things to do with a fuzz. And I've made videos on this in the past, but like getting a great fuzz and, and some of them do this and some of them don't. It depends on the, mm -hmm. you know, your mileage may vary, but like getting a fuzz, setting it up pretty loud, pretty dirty, and then just putting your guitar volume on one like just oh, barely yeah. crack it so that there's barely any signal coming out of the guitar and it gives you this it'll be some of the best clean tone you've ever had because it's yeah, not yeah. actually clean and and tim pierce talks about this all the time and i agree with him that the best clean tones are not actually clean they're a little bit saturated and a little bit dirty and uh yeah that's that's really interesting you're not the only person i've heard talk about the overdrive after the fuzz um josh scott is a big fan of that as well I mean, every mm. classic recorded fuzz sound typically was into a cranked Marshall or a Vox or something. So like running a fuzz into a clean amp can be cool, but it's so much more abrasive and strident. And th there is something about that little bit of pillowy compression that an overdrive lends itself to the signal when it's after that fuzz tone that does give you a lot more dynamic control because i mean like you know a fuzz face is dynamic but if there's nothing if, if it's just going into something like a, a twin it's just going to turn yeah. into an ice pick so yeah we are. Are, are you normally using like a your broadcast or something for the the drive typically uh, i'm constantly switching it up I, I i like the duelist a lot i i keep going back to that pedal i don't know why exactly i think it's just i'm a very set it and forget it type of guy mm -hmm. you know i've i've gone I've gone through all of them. I, I have my phases with all of them. And then once touring gets really hectic and like we're on and off again and on and off again, there's so much going on that I just want to, is it working? Does it work? Does it sound good? I'm just going to go with that for now. And yeah, that's, that's working with me for me right now. Uh, I, I tend to like dual. Well, you know, the first ever signature pedal we ever did was that Daedalus. Yep. And they're, they're like 600 I, bucks on reverb if you find one. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Dang. Jesus. Dang. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed just dual pedals uh, or 
dual overdrive, King of Tone style, like that. And yeah, the broadcast is great. I these days I the broadcast is like the ultimate recording pedal. Mm-hmm. And right. you know, it's it's essentially emulating a, a Neve console, but live too. I tend to use it more as a boost than an overdrive. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just kind of like the blue, like a blues breaker or like the, bro- the broadcast is very different, but if it was tr- more traditional overdrive, like a Timmy style or a blues breaker, I'm not like a uh-huh. tube screen, tube screamer fan really. Damn right. It's cause you're a man of oh, class and taste and experience uh, and you know what duelist. sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know what you're saying. I know Zach just said it. Half of the duelist is tube screamer. No, the tube screamer is that side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, well, speaking of pedals, should we should we dip a rig to Let's wrap this rig. lovely interview up? All right, Absolutely. I got one here. Now, I'm not entirely sure what the username is on <laughs> on this guy. Ooh, uh, it, it looks. I think it's A Steve O'Neill, dude. So it could be A Steve O'Neill. I'm not sure. Uh, but what we got here, uh, he plays with an Americana Heartland rock artist, and uh, he's got a Novo Ceres T. Uh, Nash Esquire uh, that's mainly a backup for the Novo he's got a Gretsch 6120 and then his pedal board he's got a Polytune an Argo the new 1981 LVL a Brown Protein uh, the GFI Orca the Flint the Deco and he's hitting a uh, Fender 57 Custom Deluxe damn and, this is a classy I mean, like, rig this is I thought both of you guys would appreciate wow this setup so what let's do you, start with the guitars here yeah, let's talk about it I mean, obviously, I, I'm a fan of the Novo and nice little German carve on the Novo there. Yeah, um, Esquire is cool. You know, the Nash stuff. The Nash stuff is cool. I think depending on the era, the the earlier Nash stuff I found to be better than their more recent uh, guitars. But you know, that's personal preference. And then sure. I'm really coming into a Gretsch phase. I think I took my uh, my Black Falcon out for a couple shows last weekend. And dude, oh, yeah. I think they're slept on, man. Those big body Gretches, the sixty-one twenty uh, country gentlemen—they look incredible. And as long as you can get away with them not feeding back on stage, they sound awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, they they will well, howl. Yeah, they will. All, all over my new record is a there's a white falcon on it. Um, yeah. it's just the it's just the secret machine. It's so good. There's yeah. a jangle that you can't really get out of. Any other guitar, like a Gretsch, just ha- it, it, the Gretsch sound is is truly its own. It's pretty incredible. And there's just something about like, you know, part of the philosophy of of gigging and playing a show is like that. I think sometimes gets lost is you want to put on a show, and part of that is how you look and the gear. You know, that's why I'm such a proponent of like amps on stage. If you're going, if you're paying money to go see a rock band in a venue, you want to see amps on stage and hear amps on stage. So yeah, props for the Gretsch, man. That's that's a great. Uh, great pick now sure. the pedal board dude this is i mean everything you need and nothing you don't I, I feel like i mean the the brown uh the protein i have one of those um and it's one of my favorite overdrives i mean ariel that's your your dual stage situation yeah i got right one there. of those too they're great they're great they're so good um i'm not familiar the, with the lvl yeah i was gonna yeah, just ask that, the same that's the new um 1981 inventions mr matt hoops he did the drv and this is his new boost overdrive thing uh yeah it, all the videos and stuff i've seen kind of bill it as more of an overdrive but i think it's it's just like a a boost that you can add a lot of breakup to 
but it sounds cool. You know, I don't, I, I haven't played one yet, but it's, I think mainly probably used as a booster. So something to slam into that Brown to give some more juice. Wouldn't you get more headroom from it te- or more clean from it if it was after the overdrive though, or no? Yeah, I mean, you definitely get more of a volume push, but I, I feel like probably hitting that deluxe, it might be kind of moot. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. Yeah, right. Hard to say. Yeah. But, that's but yeah, the, the, uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, I think you're right. Like, although those, those, those 57 deluxes, I've got one and they're surprisingly loud. They don't look like much, but they will move some air, man. Um, and if you mm-hmm. set them right with the, you know, cause that, that tweed circuit has the interactive volumes, you can actually get a pretty good clean ish edge of breakup, high headroom ish sound, relatively speaking. They're not, you know, there's more to, to tweed deluxes than just the, the buzzy farty tweed sound you know yeah the hey hey my my sound sort of thing yeah and then Mm. man bonus points anytime i see a deco on a board it's bonus points for me i still think that is the most slept on strymon pedal out there because people don't really understand what it's supposed to be which is recreating a studio effect from the 50s where you would take two tape machines basically and link them together and get you know flanging and tape echo and, and all kinds of stuff plus the tape saturation it's a workhorse pedal yeah very cool my only thing i'd say is uh this is just personal preference but the deco is amazing and the flint assuming that's his main trim 57 deluxe doesn't have trim or does it no so i personally just love and feel like trim should always be your last thing if you're wanting it to feel and sound like amp and i know the tape thing is kind of the same thing it's you have to just pick your poison i would probably personally pick flint last but that's just me. <laughs> it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting question on your philosophy, your signal flow philosophy, if you will, because I understand how he's got this set up here is basically treating the deco like going to tape in a studio, right? Where you're getting that like final bit of tape saturation and compression. And then if you wanted like a studio slapback effect, but the fact that he's going in front of the amp, I actually agree, Ariel. I would put the flint last to get that yeah. classic fender like spring being modulated by the tremolo thing which is such a cool effect so yeah sure man it's not really i think much this is everything say. you need yeah yeah i think this, uh, a telly style guitar sorry brett all right you go ahead no no this you, you, all you i was just gonna say i you said the esquire is the backup to yeah. the novo so i you know I think it is two guitars that really complement each other well. And obviously for the Americana thing, you have to have a guitar with a Bixby. It's just, it's an unwritten rule and yep. there's no better guitar than the Gretsch for that. I, um, I feel like the neck pickup on Tele style guitars is, is elusive these days. And clearly with this rig, I mean, there isn't even a neck pickup on the, the Esquire, but some there's some people who are still such purists on tellies or telly style guitars that like that neck pickup has to be a traditional style rather than what is that like a p90 or a humbucker mini it's humbucker a, golf it's a p45 it's like half the power of a normal p90 gotcha regardless i'm into it and something like that is going to match output a lot better to that gretch so he's not going to have uh mismatched levels when switching guitars like we all experience mm-hmm. that often mm-hmm. so kudos it's nice man 
this is probably the most pro rig we've seen in a while. Like even it, just little details, like the tweed is in a road case. He's got the guitar mm. vault next to the, mm. the like this is a pros rig. Yeah. I got to give it 10 out of 10 soils, man. This oh. is a perfect, this is a perfect score for me. Even oh down to God. the pedal board, like the pedal board's the right size. The board, the, the pedals are spaced out enough. They're not cramped together for your Instagram, you know, shot or whatever. Like this is, yeah. this is a pros rig. I respect it. Sure. All right. Uh, Ariel, what would you give this rig? Um, based on what Rhett said, I agree with all that. But at the same time, assuming maybe this isn't the only gig he does, he's, he's out on the town doing other work. You can throw the Novo, the Esquire in a double bag. You could toss the Gretsch in a bigger like mono bag. You could one trip that shit. And if you can one trip your rig, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Come on. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, I think, I think I agree with the, I would put the Flint at the, the end. So I'm just to be different. I'm going to give a 9.9. Oh, we almost had the triple crown, the, the three yeah. tens. I can't do that. I was going to remove sorry. like a point, like a, a point two for the, the Flint thing, but I just, yeah. I respect personal preference mm-hmm. and you know, seven I'm sorry maybe nine years ago i didn't care about signal chain e like this guy clearly knows signal chain and understands it but like i but we have to understand that most people just plug pedals in and oh yeah and i was one of those people for for a very long time when i was younger and it's all good it's <laughs> yeah, good you do you. you do you love it that's right yeah ariel thanks so much for joining us man this was excellent so uh pleasure yeah, man. You're so welcome back you guys. anytime yeah. here on Dipped in Tone. We will have everything, all the pertinent details to your tour, your upcoming album linked in the description box down below. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah. Go buy it. Stream Much it. Much love. Go buy it and then stream it every day uh, for all eternity, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah go, go go buy it, but don't listen to it. Just listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Is that Thanks. what you awesome. meant? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was excellent. Ariel's so great, man. He came through Atlanta like, I want to say six months ago and I got mm-hmm. to see him play. And his live show is killer. That band he's put together is just unbelievable. So uh, yeah. yeah, check out his tour dates. If he's coming to a town near you, absolutely go out and see him play. For sure. And take his advice. Don't be afraid of retuning your guitar because mm-hmm. I know that I have only ever experimented with Dad Gad and like dad fad f sharp whatever uh and, and things like that and for for a while i did a lot of um there was a dashboard confessional tuning that was just d a d d it was just all d's and a's that they used on a bunch of stuff because i went to high school in the, the 2000s so yeah, yeah um so of course we did that but i've never really tried open tuning i can't physically play slide but hearing him talk i feel like i should try it just to play you know fretted because it's yeah. something i've never experimented with it's an excellent way to break out of ruts in your playing. And oftentimes if I want to sit down and just play like just for me, just to have fun, I'll go to an open tuning because I find it just lets me let go of a lot of the same licks and ideas I've been playing over and over and over again. It forces you to think about the guitar differently, which I think is a a good thing. So yeah, always, but yeah. So shill time, shill, shill we shill. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. (laughs) Do you, yeah. uh, do you have one? You ready to go? Yeah, I do. Um, 
<clears throat> so I have a friend. His name is Mike Tempson, and he runs Seeker Electric Effects. And let's see here. Oh, there it is. So when we did the the well, I did the episode with Joey on, on, on the show when you were out of town. We talked about how I never really played a Zonk machine. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'll just make you one based off the specs of what the original supposedly are supposed to be. And so he did. And it's really weird. <laughs> but um, Mike is an amazing guy. He's an amazing builder. He uses a lot of like the right stuff. And he doesn't gouge people for it, which mm -hmm. I find refreshing. Not not that everyone's gouging, but I do feel like the realm of uh, almost bespoke really high-end fuzzes People get they get uh, pricey. pretty pricey, and yeah. people people real proud of their work, and as it uh -huh. should be. But there's a limit, and I think that Mike lives within that limit. And he sent me this beautiful uh, zonk, and it sounds wacky and weird, and uh, like 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 I've heard them you sound. Know, so I have a few of Mike's pedals that he sent me a little while ago, and they are excellent. And I actually yeah. appreciate the simplicity of the design on the pedal. Like it's it's pretty you know minimalist in terms of its branding and the look which is yeah. something that doesn't often happen in this market so um yeah nice yeah yeah he's just really straightforward and and uh <clears throat> we worked on a couple projects together I, i've helped do some boards for him and stuff and he's a really nice guy and a great designer so check him out seeker electric nice. effects all right my shill is this uh lovely microphone i've been doing the pod with today so this is the ua sd1 i'm trying it out I swapped it from my uh, my trusty SM7, which obviously this is supposed to be a uh, a competitor to the SM7. Right. Um, they did send this out to me. Actually, I we we I should say we shot some stuff at UA's headquarters a few weeks ago. Right. And uh, they sent us home with a little care package, and this was in it. It's pretty nice. I haven't really decided yet as to which I would recommend. Um, I think I'm going to do a year talk video about these mics because sure. For years, I've always said the SM7 is if you're going to have one mic to do everything, this is the one mic to do everything with. And now there's a competitor out there. So doesn't doesn't that one the SD1 have a like it'll accept phantom power and it's louder, right? Can it uh, do I that? believe so. I'm I'm using my cloud lifter right now, so I'm going through okay. the same signal chain that I use my SM7. Um, right. But yeah, I, I do believe that it, it can eliminate the need for a cloud lifter because that is the big drawback of the sm7 is it's super gain hungry and yeah. you need you need a really really either strong preamp with a really low noise floor or more than likely you need to buy a cloud lifter or inline line booster um to yeah. get this thing up to spec but yeah the sd1 as a quick aside i was denied my mark uh for mythos because there's like a hi-fi um shelf stereo just like a just not even studio equipment just like at home stereo equipment, a speaker called a Mythos. You but mean you're, you're like your trademark? Oh, okay. So I'm I'm like you know I I can prove that I own this. I've you know there's I've had records of me selling things under this name for over twelve years now. So it's it's not a big deal. One day I'll get it. I just have to pay a lawyer a lot of money to go uh -huh. fight the uh, the government for me. But um, that's called an SD one. And so is the boss <laughs> super overdrive. Maybe it's because it's Japanese or something. There's like a rule there. But I, I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, they're going to have to change that name. But I guess not. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like 
Yeah. Microphone, or maybe you can't, guitar maybe pedal. Maybe you can't mark that. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, someone who's a, a copyright trademark lawyer, let us know in the comments. But Please. Um, yeah, no, it's cool, Mike. You know, I haven't made my mind up yet as, as, as to which one I would buy if I was in the market. I mean, it's hard to beat this. And it's almost like, you know, if you're starting a podcast in 2023, it's a standard issue. You got to have an SM7 or they have yeah. the newer, um, the it's like the the baby brother the, for the yeah. podcaster setup. Or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know, it's pretty sexy looking getting in the mic game. I do also I like a little a little detail that I like is where the mic jack is. It's just on the back instead of. Oh, it's up on the top here. The SM7 having like up on the top with this little cable. It's never been a problem other than on my setup when the cable comes over the top right here. I can't yeah, get the mic positioned exactly where I want it because of yeah. this little angle here but that's such a minute minute little detail so it's it's just how this the seven always was and the b just followed suit i guess tradition there you go but um again thanks to our patrons over on patreon like we said at the beginning of the show if you want to support the channel check out the links in the description below learn about the tiers and learn about um joining the community that uh vibes with dipped in tone the the what we can't say their names the dipsters or the <laughs> listen it came up in an episode months ago they decided amongst themselves that they wanted to go with that name so yeah. it is you know we'll let and the we community decide it. it's a it's a self-policing situation over there you know yes. uh so yeah thanks to all of the uh aforementioned supporters if you want to join them links in the description also subscribe while you're down there it really does genuinely help the channel help the podcast out when you do that if you're on uh, apple podcast leave us a fine review helps new people find the show and uh thanks to sweetwater for sponsoring today's episode all of the links are in the description and the show notes go on sweetwater get you a get you a new microphone you know yeah how about that mics How about yes. that new UASD one? Or one of those new uh, JHS pedals, the Ross pedals. We didn't even oh, talk about yeah. that. Yeah, they yeah. Look, you know all about it. I haven't I played them yet, but they sure it. look cool. And they're they a do. fair price. They look cool. We should talk about them on the next episode. So We'll do it. Awesome. All, all right, right, everybody. See y'all.